evident internal intentions. The wages of sin is death tells me that there's a price to pay for my sin. And I've said it before and say it again, I'm sure, definitely going to say it tonight, is that at the moment we're born, we begin to die. We begin to go down this path as we grow, as days, and it's hard. I don't like to think about that, about my children. But the reality is, is when, you, when that child is born and you hold that child, there is a time stamp on that child. There's a time stamp on me. There's a time stamp on you. If the Lord tarries and we're not taken by uh, way of the rapture of the church, there's a time stamp. We're all going to face the grave. Miss Geraldine and I were talking. We was wondering back in December, wasn't we? My goodness, what's going to happen? I mean, I, I got down and I thought, is this it? Is, is this going to wrap up this way? I mean, what else can come to me? But the reality is, God has times. God has a day appointed. Brother Danny, he gives us an opportunity. He heals us. He provides for us. We ought to use that time to serve him and be a witness of him and try to reach people. But we all have a time. I remember a television program not too long ago I was watching. And uh, uh, it was a, the gentleman in the show. He's a doctor. And another doctor at his age, 41 years old, uh, went out to get the paper one morning. And he fell over and he died. And it started to drive this doctor crazy because this man, how, he's 41 years old. He had to, uh, this guy, he, he's obsessed with his health. He's obsessed with all these things. And, uh, and that's okay. We should, we should try to take care of our bodies. Um, but he, he said, I've got to figure out why this guy died. He's 41 years old. He's my age. How did he just go out? He must have, he must have been a smoker. He, he, must have, he must have ate bad. He must have uh, done all these things. And he sneaks into the, to the wake for this gentleman. He starts talking to the family. And he's intruding, and he's trying to figure out why he's sick so he can feel good about himself knowing he's not going to die at 41 years old. And as he's talking to the people at this wake, at this gentleman's funeral, he finds out that this guy was a health nut. He was a vegetarian, and he worked out every day, and he played basketball four times a week. But what happened was that he walked out one morning, and he leaned over to get, get, over to get his paper, and it was his time to go. And he fell over, and he died. God don't need a reason other than the fact that it's his time that we are called home. And, and, and he is completely just to call any of us home. It was uplifting on Wednesday night. Love it. He's just in the fact that he could call any of us home because the wages of my sin is death. The price that my flesh will pay is death. Now, he tells us the gift, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So this tells me and directs to me that I'm an eternal creature whether, I, whether I'm, I've received that gift or not. There's a price to pay. My flesh, I will die. But my spirit, my soul will exist forever. And the gift that Jesus Christ is offering, that Jesus Christ gave to me when I accepted him as my Savior, is the assurance of my eternal life. Not that this flesh in this form is going to live forever. I'll be given a, a new and a glorified body, praise the Lord. But that my spirit will dwell forever eternally with him. Now, thinking of that price to pay, that's a, a price that my flesh will pay, but there's also a price to pay my soul. Because of my sin, my sin nature, I owe a debt that I cannot pay. And the gift that Jesus Christ gives me is that he himself was hung up on the cross on my behalf. He took and bore my sin 
and he offers me, obviously, the eternal life written here in this verse. He paid for it. Nothing I've done, but what he did. And so I believe there's evident eternal intention that God has, and that's why I can be sure that I will possess and I will hold on to the salvation that he gave me. It's a gift. I was thinking just the other day, Preacher Ed, my pastor, Brother Jeremy knows him. He, uh, I know he'd been here. I think he, he married Jeremy and Lisa here years ago, so some may have met him years ago. But my first preacher, Pastor Ed, loved this man to this day. And at that time especially, he was my hero. And we went to Kmart. Anybody ever miss Kmart? I miss Kmart. We didn't go to Walmart unless we was on vacation. We didn't do a lot of vacation, so I, I didn't go to Walmart a lot until they closed Kmart down. I miss Kmart. And... Uh, I could get on a, on a rabbit trail there, but I won't. We went to Kmart, and Ed, his kids were not at this time old enough to have grandkids of his own yet. They were getting there, but they weren't. And he treated me like a right-in grandson. I liked that a lot. Made a huge impression on me, how much he loved me and how much he did for me. And we were at Kmart, and I saw this beautiful blue Hot Wheels bicycle. And, man, I got on that thing, and I just started rolling, and I rode that thing all the way out of Kmart. He took it up to the register. He paid for it. Mom and Dad's hollering and screaming, he don't need that. He don't need that. I'm thinking, you need to hush. He's going to get me this bicycle. <laughs> he don't need that. He said, I'm going to get it for him. I want to give it to him. I want him to have this gift. And you know what? That's been a lot of years ago at this point. I don't know how long ago, but he's never came back and asked for it back because he gave me a gift. And when he gave me that gift, he has a grandson. I remember going to the baby shower for his grandson. He didn't say, hey, remember that, remember that bicycle I gave you? I need that back to give to my grandson. No, when he gave me that gift all those years ago, that's exactly what it was. He gained ownership of it. He paid for it. I rode out on it, and I've still got it today. And it means a lot to me to think about that because, in essence, Jesus Christ, he paid the price on the cross for us and we ride out in glory and he never comes back and he never asks for it back he never says well I like this one better I'm going to take it back and give it to them or you've done me wrong and or you've disappointed me or you've you've upset me I'm going to take it back from you until you can earn it back now I understand parents we we sometimes do that don't we to teach a lesson it's not what I'm talking about I'm talking about a free gift with no attachment this gift of eternal life. See, there's evident internal intention. And God's intention is that he dwells with you in heaven forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And the gift that he gave you, time stamped on your soul, whenever it was that you accepted Christ as your Savior, wherever you were, whatever condition or state you were in, when his imprint was placed upon you by the blood of Jesus Christ, that was a gift given he's never going to ask for back for whatever reason. Now you have the rest of the story. I think we could probably, you could, like we said Sunday night, we'd probably go home on that right there. I mean, that, it, it's clear and it's simple. To say that God would come and want to take it back, as we said Sunday night, give me some scripture. We must ask ourselves, is scripture our God is scripture. I don't want to hear what your pastor has to say. I don't want to hear what Josh Boyd thinks. Josh Boyd thinks. 
decides, has to say. I don't want to hear what, what somebody on TV has to say. What does the word of God have to say? And I have found no evidence and I have found nobody give me any evidence with any co- that I can have any confidence in rather than what's been taken out of context that tells me I can lose my salvation. And if, if it was to be taken away, would it be a gift? When you give a gift, you give it away in full intention that that person receive that gift with joy, enjoy that gift, possess that gift. Nowadays, we re-gift, right? We, we, had, a whole, we had a whole thing at Christmas. Re-gift. We, we stole, at Thanksgiving, we stole a bunch of stuff from my grandmother's house. And then we gave it back to her after Christmas. That's what we do, ain't it? We've gotten so low, we take stuff out of people's houses and give it back to them. That's the society we're in. I participate in that, Sam. Madness. But this gift given, there's no re-gift. There's no, well, I guess there could be, in essence of letting my light shine to somebody else. Miss Donati, Dr. Donati, that's a re-gift right there, Lord willing. She'll accept that gift. But you can't let go of your gift. You can't get rid of your gift. You can't put it in a box and ship it to somebody else and not possess it. When you get it, you've got it. And to say that God would take it back would make God a liar. And I believe that would make God a liar. You say, that that sounds hard to hear. That sounds a little harsh. When God says something, he means it. And what he tells me is that the gift of eternal life was paid for by his son, Jesus Christ. And if, if... I could lose my salvation, then that would mean that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was not enough. And that would mean that he would have to come back each and every day and die for me because the Apostle Paul said he had to die daily. And so if the Apostle Paul had to die daily, Jesus Christ would have to come back and die each hour for my sin. You understand what I'm saying? In essence, to say that my salvation, the gift, the gift, That's given by God through Jesus Christ could be taken away means that I am saved his gift was not enough on the cross. And if we think of it that way, does it really make sense to say that his gift was not enough? Why did he prepare all those years to send this one spotless lamb? Why would he spend all the time? Why would God author his word in such a way so detailed, so eloquent? where his entire word, all the way back to the book of Genesis, points to Jesus Christ coming, living, dying, and being resurrected. Why would he spend all that effort and energy to give the world at the center of the history of our world to send his son to die, only to take away the intention of his son to connect us in eternal life and the security that we have in our salvation on this earth? Why would he do that? It, it, it does not make sense. So I believe he has evident everlasting life. I believe he has evident eternal intentions. He's intending on that relationship with us. And then, well, we see John six thirty seven, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. So that gift that he gives, he's... He's paid for us. He's paid for us. Next, if you want to look over to Romans 10 with me. Once again, we're just traveling the Roman, Romans road here. Romans 10, I've got these verses 
marked and highlighted in my Bible, I would recommend that. You ever get in a situation, somebody wants to get saved, you can take them right through these verses in Romans. Romans 10, 13. I think what's beautiful is we can keep it simple. We're not in any deep doctrinal theological conversation trying to, trying to explain this. We're using the simple text of the Word of God to have assurance in our salvation. What a beautiful thing. I believe that's the way God intended it. Romans 10 and verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So he has evident, we have evident everlasting life. We have evident in, ever, eternal intentions from God. And we have evident eternal conversion. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Salvation is simple. Amen. Salvation is simple. Now, there's been people in the past complicated. There's people today complicated. If you don't, if you do this or you do that or you, people complicate stuff. We just make, and we make it too complicated. We, we shouldn't make everything so complicated that it turns everybody off. When you make things too complicated, the simple man don't want nothing to do with it because it's too high fluting, amen? That's how I am. I don't like complicated things. Just keep it simple. I won't go there, but you know what I mean. There's a little acronym. Keep it simple. Keep it straightforward. That, that's God's intention. See, the law, the law is complicated in, in, in essence of how I receive it and what I have to follow and what I have to do. The law is complicated. It was perfected in Christ. And things were made simple and things were made straightforward. And you know what? Those things were made straightforward to the Jew first and to the Greek. God, in his intentions through Jesus Christ, offers salvation beyond just the Jewish people, but to the whole world. What a beautiful thing that is. And we're not following. Now, the law is a schoolmaster. It's a teacher. Yeah, some people want to throw it out the window. We, we shouldn't do that. It, it, it's a good guide. It's things that can, can teach me things. There's wonderful and beautiful things in the Old Testament. Wonderful things. Jesus Christ is all over the Old Testament. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection is simple. And this verse, this gospel given here in Romans 10 13, it's simple. For whosoever. And people wonder. People wonder. Well, God picks these people and not these people. The Bible literally says whosoever. Like, it, it's, it's becoming a huge debate, the idea of God's election. We'll talk about that down the road, but it's coming a huge debate that God would choose some and he would deny others. And his word literally says for whosoever. That's what happens when you overcomplicate things. If you overcomplicate things, what did I just say? The simple people won't want it because it's too complicated. Like me, I don't want it if it's too complicated. But your academic people, they can't stop arguing over it because it's too complicated. It's simple. We complicate it. Because I determine, as we talked about, the, the, the outcomes of false discipleship, legalism, literalism, liberalism, some other isms, all kinds of isms. All that stuff, all that junk that comes out of false discipleship comes from what I add to the Word of God. And if you'll go look in, in the, the last few verses of the book of Revelation, we're told not to add to or to take away from the Word of God. And all we do is we want to take away because things that this is going to offend somebody. 
Churches have a hard time standing on transgenderism and homosexuality because they don't want to offend somebody. We become, we, we take a liberal mindset when we want to address what the word says and we take things out of God's word and in turn we sin because we take things out of God's word. The legalist mindset will, will attack people because they don't live up to that standard that they have set in their mind. And what we do is we cast on other people convictions we have. Hey, you want, I told you when we started this, you want, to have, you want to have convictions about things? You go ahead and have convictions about things. I mean, there's certain things I don't do, you may do. There's things you do, I don't do. Make sure that you are seeking biblical discernment in those things because there's some stuff that's just, it's just crazy. We have to be careful about those convictions because sometimes they will override what the word says. You can't get in heaven, you've done this. You can't get in heaven, you've done that. Y'all ever read Romans 10, 13? I mean, it's pretty simple. For whosoever. So we have to be careful that we're not heaping on her. And this, as we said Sunday night, I believe this is the root of what's caused this controversy in the church. The idea that we can lose our salvation is because man had to justify what somebody that said they were a Christian was doing. And we just can't justify. We got a Bible full example, full of examples of people that loved God, yet they did terrible things, and their path to redemption is a beautiful and wonderful story. Wonderful thing. But we won't look at that because we can't make sense of what so-and-so is doing, and it doesn't fit in our liberal mindset or legalistic mindset. Got to be careful. It's simple. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Pretty straightforward. Shall be saved. So we have evident eternal conversion. I believe that when I call upon my Lord, when I call upon my Lord and I ask him into my heart, I was a seven-year-old boy. I was young. I was 110% convinced and I was 110% convinced correct that if I died I was going to hell could God send a seven-year-old boy to hell God will send a seven-year-old boy to hell if he knows that he's wrong and the Holy Spirit has convicted him and shown him that he needs to turn and repent and believe in Jesus Christ he certainly will and he's justified in that because I've come to that age of accountability to know and understand right and wrong in a spiritual sense Adrian Rogers was talking about how they would call him on these national news shows and ask him these questions he said one of them he would get is do you believe a Jew that rejects Jesus will die and go to hell and he said they're trying to trick me that's back in the 90s say man I CNN this is back in the 90s this was this was when everybody somebody had their head screwed on straight more than they do now so this was a long time ago. You go listen to a lot of Adrian Rogers preaching from the 90s and early 2000s, you realize the world is the same then as it is today. We just better at hide. We were better at hiding it then. And he said, people ask me that. You believe a, the TV host will ask, you believe if a Jew rejects Jesus, they'll die and go to hell? And he said, I know they're trying to race bait me to, to answer, oh, yes, they will. And then I'm a bigot. I'm like, I'm thinking, man, this sounds like 2024. This is 1994. He says, I looked at, the, looked at the anchor and I said, if my own son 
rejects Jesus Christ, he will go to hell. What a strong and powerful answer is. God is no respecter of persons. He's not. I mean, the reality is we all, there's, there's level ground at the foot of the cross. If I accept Christ, I go to heaven. If I deny Christ, I will die and go to hell. Doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what you, doesn't, doesn't matter. Like we said about the Titanic, they were saved and they were lost. That's who they were counting at the end of that story. Saved and lost. Who lived and who died. It's simple. For whosoever. Whosoever. So there's that eternal conversion. That con I'm convinced in eternal conversion. I, I believe that I am as sure today of where I will be a million trillion years from now as I ever will be. Because God gave me a gift he doesn't intend to take back. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When that new creature... Now, we talked about this. We've got flesh. And I'm going to have this flesh till I die. And from what I'm told, it just keeps decaying. Dwayne Hobart tells me that all the time. You just wait till you're my age. You're just going to fall apart. That's what happens, right? I mean, it just... You go back to the eye doctor. I got to go right now. There's some of you. I can't... I'm like having a strain. Go to the eye doctor. You gotta get a, I got to get my prescription fixed. You go and your doctor's telling you, you try to eat better. And your doctor says, well, you got to do even better than you do it. I don't know what else to do than be a vegetarian, and I'd rather die than do that. I mean, we just can't do enough, am I right? You can't, there's nobody more difficult to please than a doctor. We just can't do enough. And we're decaying, this flesh is decaying, we're dying. But living inside of me is an excited and, and a fired up, and it doesn't matter if you're 100 years old, 90 years old, 80 years old, if you know Jesus inside of you is dwelling an excited and a happy and a youthful and a young and a ready spirit given to you by Jesus Christ. And what a beautiful thing. And what happens is you see these, these, these old saints of God, their bodies let them down to the point they can't even go anywhere, but you start seeing that youth come out because they're excited to see Jesus. Anybody ever seen that? That's a blessing. That's a blessing. There's evident eternal conversion. Somebody that gets it. And gets it, and it's real, and they become a new creature in Jesus Christ. It's evident that that conversion was legitimate. And there will be fruit. So I, I'm not wrapping this thing up about eternal security without talking about all in and half in. There's some people that are just all out. Brother Ricky, when he was here uh, in our revival, he preached the best, best I, I, I've heard on being all in. If you were here, say amen. It was great. I can't do that justice, but the reality is, is this scripture tells me that if I have Jesus Christ dwelling within me, I'm a new creature. Now that, that new creature inside of me is going to be fighting daily with my flesh. Amen? Can I get an old me? Every day. You know, even preaching. Sam? Your mind starts wandering sometimes. On th I'm not saying I'm thinking about the sales in the paper right now. I'm just saying sometimes. I mean, even behind the pulpit, the devil loves 
put things in your mind. You think, well, you're up there, you're preaching. Well, you're sitting there and you're thinking about something else. <laughs> right? The devil loves it. He loves getting us distracted. He loves, I mean, and, and, and it's almost like we get in church, and that's when, it's, that's when it comes. You ever try to go to bed and something comes up? I'm, I'm the world's worst. I mean, I get 30 minutes. I'm like, oh, I'm there, about to go to sleep. I'm waking Shelby up. I've told you, digging through her nightstand, trying to find something in the mood. We lost in the mood. I needed to know where this was. Had to make sure I had it. Sometimes we get to church. The devil loves getting us distracted, don't he? We need to be in here. Lord, I need the fellowship in spirit. Lord, I need the blessing from the singing. Lord, I need a word from the pulpit. I need you to illuminate, illuminate something in my life. I need you to touch me. I can tell this story because my dear old papa, he was, miss him every day. He was going to fall, he, he'd fall asleep pretty bad in church. And this is old time screaming and shouting kind of church. And I'd turn around and he'd be out. About the time the preacher would clap his hands, he'd pop his head up. And then he'd fall back over again. Say, Papa, how you fall asleep in there? I don't know, son. I just, I mean, it didn't matter who was in there. He just would. And it's funny. After I got to preaching, I started getting offended sometimes. Think that would happen, I'd get offended. Think about my little Papa, man. I'm going to tell you, there ain't nobody walked with the Lord I've seen, much like my old papa. I joked with him one time, imagine what you'd do if you was late during church. <laughs> but you know, the devil loves getting us distracted, doesn't he? I mean, he just does. Get us distracted, and it's not my responsibility to judge anything, any, whatever. I'm, hey, I'm telling you, I can't judge you because I got junk going on in my head. Up here, the devil likes throwing stuff. Anxiety is what I got to do tomorrow. Money I got to spend. Things I've got to do. Decisions I got to make. So I've got flesh hanging on me. And I'm going to be distracted by this flesh. I'm going to be caught up thinking about other things when I need to be dwelling on the Lord. I'm going to be distracted by stress and anxiety when I I mean, it's almost sometimes as you sit down and you begin to pray or study that some of these stresses and anxieties come out to you. It's the devil. But I'm a new creature on the inside. And I know that, that bears witness to me of what's on the inside of me and what I possess. And that drives me to draw closer to the Lord and try to be more dedicated and try to bring myself into subjection. That when I sit down and I try to spend time in his word, that I don't get distracted by what's going on in my mind. That I don't, my, my phone, I've got a new phone. Man, I've got this thing set up. There's so much stuff cuts off. You try to text me and don't hear back for two or three days, it's probably because I've got some kind of do not disturb thing going. I have to, I mean, we have to do everything we can to kill the distractions in our life, amen? But we've got to fight to do that. Doesn't have anything to do with eternal security, but... What I'm getting at is that we have inside of us, if you're saved, you're a new creature in Christ. And there should be some fruit to bear witness to the fact that you're a new creature in Christ. 
I think it's easy to blame how loud or mean or dogmatic some people are in the church. But also, a big issue in the church is that there's not much of an expectation for people to bear fruit. In essence of, used to there were some standards of like how you lived and how you acted and how you carried yourself and how you treated people and, and, and how, your name in the community. That th- those things had an effect on every part and every aspect of your life in a small community, even in the big communities. And there's certainly been examples and instances of people that have abused that. But today, it's almost anything goes. And the church gets a bad name as a whole because there's not much expectation. We have a word to give us a guide and and, and be an example for an expectation. We have men in pulpits and men in deacon positions and we have peoples and elders and examples inside the church that, that live and lead by example. Yet it seems like there's no standards anymore, even in the church, especially in the church. Like we've said, don't be surprised by the world being the world. But in the church, church should bear some fruit. If you know Jesus, then you're a new creature in Christ. And there will be some fruit in your life. Now, we will go through some times of backsliding. I've been there. We'll go through some, some times where we fall away, where we mess up, we make mistakes. I've even done things that have turned people away from church entirely. I'll tell you that straight up. And I'm ashamed of those things. But even as we said Sunday night, how does God deal with people that run away too far? They end up in the belly of a whale. Amen? If you're one of his own, if you're one of his sheep, he'll come and get you. And he'll get you back where you can bear some fruit. And so there's some people, you look at them and you think, the way they live and the things they do, how could they know Jesus? They profess to be a Christian. How could they know Jesus? It's not my place to judge or know, but we should realize and recognize that a new creature is going to bear fruit. And that sometimes that creature lets their flesh overrun them. And there'll be times, I've told you, over the span of years, months, however long, I'll have to come to you and say, hey, I made a mistake. Please forgive me. You might think, what kind of preacher we got? He did this or he did that. I'm flesh. You're flesh. But we should be confident that as a new creature, there's some fruit somewhere. That somebody can look at me and say, hey, they made a mistake and I make mistakes too. I'll give you some grace. There's some people, they don't know Jesus. They're not a new creature. They sound like it. They look like it. They seem like it. And I think sometimes the easiest way for some people sticking their nose where it shouldn't be to justify it is that they're a Christian that's lost their salvation. And I don't believe that's possible. You're all in or you're out. And there's a lot of people out that sound like, look, sound like it and look like it. And if you're in and you stop bearing fruit, God will get, get you back where you can. My dad always told me, and I believe it's a biblical principle, certainly. 
Humble yourself before God has to. Anybody ever been humbled by God? Not fun. Completely avoidable. 